Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Nate. Um, so there were, Nate told me he was gonna do that. Um, well, not that, but he told me he was gonna do this to me. Um, that was a surprise. Um, he, so this, you know, they were gonna introduce me and then I had two thoughts. Um, there were two things I was thinking, like, what do I want to say to the congregation? This is like a big moment. The first words are going to come out of your mouth, right? Um, I'm, going to give you, I'm going to give you the two things. The, the, the more, the me, right? The ornery side of me. And then the redeemed and refined godly me. So imagine um, Nate introduced me. I walked up here and I didn't say anything. And the first words that you heard from me, I'm gonna give you two, ready? This is the one that I wanted to say, that I'm still gonna say. Um, this is what I would say to you. It's a question. It's um, 5%, really? <laughs> like, 5%, huh? Man, really, 5%. Now here's the more redeemed refined, godly lead pastor that you have, I am deeply humbled and grateful. God is good and faithful, and I am grateful in this moment. But I joke, but I am grateful. Um, I've said this before many times. This is not the plan that I imagined my life um, would be. Um, when you pray to the Lord, when you're particularly in full-time ministry, and this is true of many of pastors, if not all the pastors, you, you have in, a, in your mind an idea of what your life is going to look like, where you'll end up, and God in his sovereignty just blows you away with the many gifts, the many trials, and the great opportunities, and you always have to sit back and look at God and say, you are faithful you are good, um, and not only are you faithful and good, you're faithful and good to me when I'm unfaithful and I am wicked in my own heart, in my selfishness. You still decide that you're going to be consistent to your character towards me. And for that, my response is, God, I am absolutely grateful in ways that I can only express not now, but in eternity, where I get to worship you forever. And that is just a small token of what I can do. So anyway, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. If you're just joining us or you've been visiting for the last couple of weeks... We've been in a series called Sermon on the Mount, and where we're just looking at is the, the, the most, or actually not the most, but the longest discourse of Jesus' teachings. And we find ourselves this morning in verses 7 to 11 on page 812 in the Pewback Bible in front of you, if you don't own a Bible and are wanting to own a Bible, the Bible and the pew back in front of you is our gift to you on page 812. I'll read it in the ESV, and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to read it in the NLT, 
NLT is a really good translation. I like to, uh, at times, do my devotions and get an idea of what the author is trying to say. Um, we here read the ESV. It's closely what the author's words are. And then I think the NLT in this section does a really good job in communicating what actually the author is meaning to say, um, what he wants us to hear um, that is actually a little bit more consistent with the original language. So we'll read... Matthew 7, 7 to 11. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I'll read it now. NLT. Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if, you ask, or for, if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? Um, I love this section in the Bible. I often have gone to this passage in scripture um, because what Jesus is talking about, he's talking about us going to him in prayer, talking to him in prayer. Once again, Jesus is teaching us how to pursue prayer. And what I'm reminded, I'm reminded of this little illustration. Huh? You, you'll know these two kids. I, I don't hang around kids much, but I hang around these two little kids in the church because they're the cutest kids that I know. I'm sure your kids are cute. It's just these kids, I spend time with them. One of them is uh, um, Evie Mooney, if you know. She sits around here. They're not here today, but Evie's usually around here. Oh, they are here today? Oh, Jared's here. Where's Evie at? Oh, okay. Evie's in class. So there's Evie Mooney, Evie Mooney, and she is the most spoiled girl in the church because um, um, Jared and his wife, Sierra, they're part of the young adults groups. They also serve in high school ministry, and Evie has a lot of people to spoil her with. And then there's another boy. It's a boy. Um, it's Rowan Rasper. Is Roro here? No, Roro's not here. He's in the back, or Roro broke his leg. Um, yes, he's two years old and broke his leg. We got to pray for Roro because um, he fell at church. Um, anyway, <laughs> Rowan Rasper is one of the cutest kids you'll see in the church. He is also spoiled because um, his mom, Kayla Rasper, she's part of the CF community and she has, she's part of a big ABF group. So, so there's a lot of people loving these kids and everybody wants to be around these kids. And these kids are super cute, super nice and super friendly. Now, the way I win their love and affection is by giving them snacks. I have snacks. Um, <laughs> 
people in the church give me snacks on Sunday morning, and I in return give snacks to kids, and I am buying their love and affection. Now, um, so actually what happened before the service you saw was standing over there, because Rowan was looking for me because he wanted his snack. Usually he gets his snack after the service. Evie gets her snack after the service. Now, here's the illustration, right? Um, Evie and Rowan are cute, but, but Evie and Rowan do nothing for me in that they do not pay my bills. <laughs> Evie and Rowan do not help me in any way, shape, or form in the sermon other than giving me an illustration. Evie and Rowan do not provide for me in ways that are helpful for me to survive in this world. And I'm sure that is true for your own kids if you are a parent, and that's also true if you are a grandparent. Those kids do not help you in any way, shape, or form to survive in life because they do not provide for you in those ways. I'm sure, though, they take much from you. Your time, your energy, your money, more money, more resources, right? And if you are the youngest child in your family, you are the favorite. Um, that's how that goes. If you are the oldest child in the family, they do not care for you. Um, <laughs> that is also true, right? Um, parents are there looking at their kids. They're saying, no, that's not true. And I'm telling you, it's true. <laughs> if you can guess which child I am, um, I'm the youngest, of course. Now, um, I, I love this illustration that Jesus is pointing to at the end, and I think that's where we're going to land the plane, is because what Jesus is doing in himself, right, in this sermon, he's landing the plane on the discourse. And, and he's going to show us at the end an illustration, a picture of who he is and who we are to him. And the reason why I love that illustration is that, that the children in our lives, whether we have kids or not, we're grandparents or not, the children even in the church, they provide joy and contentment in ways that are only given to us by God. They do not provide for us in ways that are helpful other than that they bring us joy, happiness, and contentment. Therefore, we lavish them with good gifts. And when they ask, right, when Rowan asks, not because I'm his dad, because I'm not his dad, but because I'm his uncle, I already said it, because he asked me for fruit snacks, what do I do? I give him the fruit snacks. Why? Because I find joy and contentment in knowing that I have satisfied a need that he's wanted. Now, maybe he doesn't need the fruit snacks. Maybe Evie doesn't need the fruit snacks. But man, when I give it to them, it makes me joyful and happy that I was able to provide something that they could not on their own accomplish in themselves. This is what Jesus is going to show us. This is what Jesus is going to teach us. And he's going to teach us that when we ask, when we seek, and when we knock, he is going to give us good gifts because why? He's a good father. So if you looked down at verse seven, there's a couple of things I want us to notice in this passage. 
The first thing I want us to notice, maybe you're sitting in this room and you're saying to yourself, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount for several weeks. I'm ready for the sermon series to end and I want the next thing. And the reason why you're wanting us to move past the Sermon on the Mount is because when you read what Jesus is calling us to be and when you read what Jesus is calling us to do, you're overwhelmed with the task of being a true follower of Jesus Christ. You're saying to yourself, I don't know how I'm going to have a rightful view of people where I don't judge them. I don't know how I'm going to be and live out the Beatitudes in my daily life because it is too hard for me to accomplish that. I don't know how I'm going not to want to retaliate towards people who hurt me and do not love me. Right? Like, think about what we've been talking about. The task in front of us is so big that it often makes us paralyzed and overwhelmed by the task of being a true follower of Jesus Christ. Or maybe you're the other person in this room who looks at this and says, I don't really care about these things. I'm just apathetic. I'm, I'm indifferent to the task. I'm indifferent to what God is calling me to do because that's not what I really care about. What I really care about is a, an intellectual experience with Jesus. Or, or, or I'm just looking for a more emotional experience with Jesus. And I truly don't really care about retaliation, divorce, and judging, and the Beatitudes. Like, I really want to do something different. I want to experience something different. So, so I'm ready to move on from the, ser the sermon series and, and get to other things. And, and what Jesus is going to show us from verses 7 to 11 is that the way, the way that you and I accomplish what God is calling us to do in these couple of chapters, the way that we're going to fulfill our calling as salt and light in this broken and fractured world the way the Beatitudes are going to take root in our character is through prayer. Right? So if you're here, overwhelmed by the task. If you're here, apathetic to the task. Jesus is going to talk to both of us. And he's going to say, hey, you don't have to be overwhelmed. And you should be encouraged because, because two things are going to happen. I am going to do the thing that you cannot do in yourself. And I'm going to encourage you to do the thing that you cannot do in yourself because I'm going to accomplish it. And the way I'm going to accomplish it is if you ask. Why? Not because you ask, because I'm good. So that's the whole point of this section. That's the whole point of this sermon, that Jesus is inviting us to pray so that we can see him clearly and realize that the task that he's called us to be, to do, is accomplished by his power, his strength. And the only thing he does, he invites us to have a conversation with him to ask for it. So look at verse seven really quickly. And I want us to see a couple of things. For the person who, who looks at this as a daunting task or the person who's, not, who's feeling indifferent to it, Jesus wants us to pursue prayer in several ways. And in verse seven, he wants us to pursue prayer with persistence. Notice the three verbs that are used in this passage. Ask, seek, 
and knock. I think the NLT does a fantastic job of communicating actually what the original Greek uh, language is saying. What he's saying is keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Jesus is telling us the way we pursue prayer, the way we pursue prayer is with persistence. This is an invitation, right? This is an invitation to pursue God with the thing that we need, the thing that is most daunting to us, the thing that makes us feel apathetic in our faith. He's saying, come ask me for it, right? Think about that. The asking is like this idea of of something that we need. The the seeking is uh, something that we're looking for and we cannot find. The knocking is the access to something or someone, or, 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 or something in our life that, that we need access to. And Jesus is saying, come pray to me persistently. Oftentimes, we don't go to God in prayer with persistence because we're often afraid of the answer or we're afraid he's not going to answer. And Jesus, in verse 7, is calling us He's inviting us to talk to him with persistence. He's reminding us, don't give up in your prayer. The thing you've been praying for that has spiritual significance, that's what we're talking about here. We're not talking about the house. We're not talking about the wealth. We're talking about what has eternal significance in your life. What has spiritual value in your life. And those are the things that Jesus already talked about and has been preaching about in this section. He's saying, I can do those things. I will do those things. The only thing you have to do, the only responsibility you have is just to ask and keep asking. The only thing you have to do is keep on seeking the thing that you're looking for. And you're going to find it. The only thing you have to keep doing is knocking. And I'm going to help you, give you the access that you need. So this is an invitation, right? An invitation to ask and keep on asking. When I was a kid, I often was afraid to ask my dad to go play outside. Because I was afraid that if I was persistent, he would be angry and he wouldn't answer, right? Dad, can I go outside? No. That's not the answer I wanted. Dad, I want to go outside and play. See, in my generation, we went outside and played. We didn't Snapchat or Be Real or Tic Tac, whatever the thing you guys. (laughs) The weirdest thing is to see people. You see people now at at supermarkets and, and department stores, and they're just dancing, looking like a fool in front of a... First of all, it's not even dancing. Whatever you're doing with your hands is not a dance. Anyway, sorry, that was a tangent. I wanted to go outside and play, right? So, so I was persistent in my asking, but I knew that my father had a limit, right? Like, I knew, right, that whatever I asked for, there was a cap of how persistent I could be with him. And Jesus is not saying that at all. Here is the opposite. Jesus is saying, I want you to be persistent. I want you to keep on asking. I want you to keep on seeking. I want you to keep on knocking. Don't give up. Oftentimes we give up in our prayers. We give up asking God because why? We haven't seen it yet. And the invitation is to keep asking, to keep knocking and to keep seeking. The second thing I want us to see in verse eight is that we ought to pursue prayer with faith. For the person 
who's overwhelmed by the task of being a true follower of Jesus or the person who's apathetic in their faith, Jesus is calling you to be persistent in prayer, but at the same time to pursue prayer with faith. What's the faith that he's showing us here? The faith is this, the confidence knowing that what we ask, what we seek, and what we knock for is going to be given to us. That should make you jump out of your seat and worship God. Why? Because you don't have to be anxious or afraid about the answer. You already know the answer. The answer is yes. The problem that we have is the reason why we worry the reason why we fret is because a couple of things. You might be saying there, well, Tim, I, I pray and I ask, I seek and I knock, and I don't get the answer that I want, or I'm still waiting. There's a couple of things to that, right? What does James chapter four say? Sometimes when we pray, we, we don't get what we want because we ask, we ask wrongly. With what? With, with selfish motives or with what James says, with our passions, what does that mean? That means that we, we ask because we want something that is not beneficial to us, but it's, it's because it's, it comes from our fleshly, sinful desires. Right? Like, we, we often pray for things that we want because it's only going to satisfy our comfort. It's only going to satisfy our control. It's only going to satisfy our influence. It's only going to satisfy our power. It's only going to satisfy our wealth. And, and that's not what Jesus wants for us. Jesus is more concerned about your sanctification and looking more like Jesus than making, making you feel good about yourself making you feel in control of your family and your future and your career. Jesus is more concerned about your spiritual health. And because we are sinful, because we are not aware of what we actually need, he has to give us what we need, not what we think, what we want. And that's the experience of many mature Christians, right? They, they pray and pray and pray and pray for things and they don't see it because they realize over time they've asked for the wrong thing. Another reason why sometimes maybe you haven't seen the answer to your prayer is because what John 5 says, right? We, we haven't prayed according to God's will and that's, that's the beauty of prayer. It's, it's difficult, but it's the beauty. It's, it's we pray and it's, if it's according to God's will, we know we have it. And sometimes when we pray, sometimes when we ask and seek and knock, it's not part of God's will. And because God is kind and because God is gracious, he's willing to hold back from you the thing that you want so that he can give you what you need. And that messes us up in the inside, right? Like God, that he would say no to us? But the beauty and the wonder is that, man, he is so kind that even though we ask, he's willing to say no to give us what we need as a means for our sanctification and his glory. How should we pursue prayer if we're feeling overwhelmed by the calling of being a true disciple in the Sermon on the Mount? or apathetic towards the task. 
Jesus says, pursue prayer with a purpose. Look at verses 9 and 10. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? But what is Jesus saying here, right? That if, if a father, if an earthly father is willing to give, willing to give his children what they need, God will also give us what we need. Therefore, if you look at what the ask is, the ask is for bread. The ask is for fish, right? And, and I think what we ought to do in our prayer life is to approach God with a purpose. What's the purpose? It's to ask God for the thing that we need and oftentimes not the thing that we want, right? It's, it's God. Those are the hard, in fact, those are the hardest prayers, right? The hardest prayers is like, God, I want you to save my child because they are wayward and sinful and they do not believe in you. So God, would you break them? Take them to the deepest part of the pit so that they have no one else to rely on other than to call on you. Those are the hard prayers. The hard prayers are, God, I don't want to be in this marriage anymore. I give up. I want out. The hard prayer is, God, I want out, but I'm going to stay. God, I want out, but I'm going to fight for this. God, I don't feel it anymore. But you're going to have to do something in me to make this thing work. The hard prayers are, God, I'm discontent in my workplace. But I want you to be glorified and magnified in my life, in this place, so that people can see you. Even when my workplace, my boss, my coworkers are growing antagonistic towards me and the gospel. God, I want to be light and salt in this world. Even when the world rages against the church and rages against truth. God, I want to be salt and light. Help me to be salt and light. Help me to be the person you call me. Those are the hardest prayers. The easy prayers are, God, bless my kids, bless my marriage, bless my life and career. Give me more money. Expand my territory. Give me a bigger house so each of my kids can have a room. Like, those are the easy prayers. The hard prayers are the ones that make you sanctified. The hard prayers are the ones where you cry day in and day out and wait years to see the answers, right? The hard prayers are the ones that have spiritual and eternal significance in your life and the life of other people. The easy prayers are the ones for the blessings. God, help my headache. The way we also should approach prayer, not only pursue prayer with persistence, not only pursue prayer with faith, knowing that he's going to answer. It's not only to pursue prayer with a purpose, asking God for what we need, but it's also pursue prayer by approaching God as his children. And that seems simple for us to think about and say, But oftentimes in our hearts and our minds, and this is true for me, that we sometimes go to God in two different ways. The first way we approach God is as a vendor or a merchant. 
We exchange something for something else. God, I give you my devotion. I give you my affection. I'll give you my worship. In fact, I'll come on Sundays and lift up my hands. I'll go to the event and I'll paint the gym or I'll, I'll clean up the hallways. But in return, what I want from you is I want, I want blessings. I want the continued comfort. I want the continued American dream. I want the continued influence. I want the financial um, um, protection for me and my family. I want, the, I want the nice house, the nice car. I don't want any trouble. I don't want to feel anxious. I don't want to feel fearful. I want to have a good family. I don't want baby mama drama in my life. I want my marriage to be perfect so that we can go to sleep really well at night. Like, I want the nice cars. Those are the things, right, like I said before, are the easy prayers. And then and, and we think that we can go to God as like, gimme, 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 right? It's like, he's a genie. You just gotta rub him the right way and poof, he comes up. I mean, that's what the prosperity gospel does. Then some of us, maybe we don't go to God as a vendor, but we approach God, not as a child, but we approach God as though God is this wrathful, angry, deceitful judge in that if we ask for something, he's going to give us something that is hurtful and harmful to us. We, we approach God as though that there should be a, a fear. Not, I'm not talking about a holy fear, but I'm talking about a, a sinful fear, right? That he isn't good. He isn't gracious. He isn't kind. He isn't just. He isn't holy. And we approach him, right, as someone who should be feared because he is deceitful. He's dishonest. He's not trustworthy. That's a sinful way of approaching God as well thinking I can't go to him. I'm not going to go to him with my problems because I know what he's going to do. His plans aren't good for me. His plans are bad for me. And, and what we see in this passage is what? What is Jesus saying about God? That we ought to approach him as children. Why? Because God is a good father. And he's a good father to you and me. Think of the most influential CEO in your life. Meaning, who, who's the richest person in the world, the most influential person in the world that you would love to meet? Just want to talk to them. How, how do you do the thing that you do, right? For me, my guy, I don't want to tell you who my guy is. But I kind of do want to tell you who my guy is. Here, here's, can I tell you my guy? Do you want to know my guy? All right, here's my guy. I just want to sit down with Elon Musk. I, all right, here's why. The, the dude, I don't know how he does it, but it's like five different companies he's overseeing. Just want to see like what, not for the money, but just how are you, how are you wired? But, but here's the difficulty with that is, right? Like I don't have ass, a, access to him. Right? I, can't, I just can't call him up on the phone. I can't show him a tweet and say, hey, listen, can we meet up? I don't have access. Even if I was close to him, I'm sure there's like a hundred people that surround him that wouldn't let me get through. But you know who does have access to him? Or your famous influential CEO, most influential woman or leader or politician. You know who does have access to them? Their children. The children. Think of CEO in his office, 
You can only come by appointment. But I imagine a CEO who has children, they have access to him anytime they want it. It's like me calling my dad. Back in those days, he worked at a hospital, so he had a beeper, so I had to call the beeper. The number came up and he called me back. But you know, my dad would call me immediately. Why? I'm his son. Called my mom. Why? I'm her son. They're maybe less likely to pick up the phone call if someone else called them. But I'm their son. We approach God as children because what he wants to communicate to us, we have access to him all the time. He is not bombarded. He is not overwhelmed. He's not afraid. He has the time, the energy, the resources to to focus his attention on you for your sanctification, for his glory. That's how we should approach God. Knowing that we're his children and that he is our father. Not as a vendor and not as a deceitful, cruel, angry judge. And that is the hardest thing. I imagine that is difficult for many people in this room who do not have a father, who do not know their father, or their father has been cruel to them in their lives. And Jesus is saying, God is a good father. That's what the verse says. So we pursue God as children. You ever ask yourself when you read this passage, why do you think God answers these prayers? Like, why would he answer the prayer of, the, of someone who's overwhelmed by the task of being a follower of Jesus or who's apathetic to the task of being a follower of Jesus? Why would he answer those petitions? Why does the Bible say in this section, I'm going to do the thing that you asked me of. I'm going to give you the thing that you need, maybe not the thing that you want. I'm going to help you see me clearer by the power of my spirit and the word, why is he going to do it? You're going to look at this passage and say, oh, it's because of the verse 7, right? It's because verse 7 says, keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. But that's not what it says in the last verse of 11, right? The reason why God answers our prayers is not because we keep asking or keep seeking or keep knocking, though we should because he commands us to. Why does God answer our prayers? Look at it. Why does God answer our prayers if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children? How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The reason why he's going to do it. The reason why God is going to demonstrate to you in your persistence in prayer, in your faith in prayer, in your approach in prayer, the reason why he's going to respond because God is good and God is a good father. That should relieve the pressure and burden off of your shoulders of thinking, right? I'm overwhelmed or apathetic, but if I keep praying and keep praying and keep praying and keep praying and ask the right way and say a certain word and, and repeat it day in and day out, repetition is going to get him to answer. Relieve yourself of that burden because he's not going to respond because you keep asking because that's good works. That's a respond to good works. The reason why God is going to respond 
is because of what he says. If you who are evil, and what he's implying is that everyone is evil, no one, no one is perfect. Everyone is depraved. And if depraved people who are completely depraved can give good gifts to their children, God can do much more. So verse 11 is telling us really simply that God would do no less than what an earthly father would do for his children, but also he would do much more than what an earthly father would and can do for his children. That's beautiful, isn't it? That he's going to be better than your greatest example of what a good father is. He is going to be better than the worst example of a bad father is. He's going to be better. I'll just give you a couple of points of how God is good as we read through this section, right? If you wanna see how God is good in this passage, a couple of things that came to me. God takes the full responsibility for the care and love necessary for his children. Think about the bread and the fish. He's going to provide what we need. God being a good father does not and will not deceive his children. That's verse nine. He's not gonna give us something that we didn't ask for and then give us something in exchange for it that's harmful and bad for us. He's going to always give us something that's good. It may not be what we want, but it's always going to be good. God is also good because he doesn't withhold from us what is good. He doesn't withhold from us what is necessary. We also see in this section how God is good, that, that God does not give us anything that can harm us or hurt us, and that God is generous towards us. That's how God is good to you and me who are sinful. So my question for you this morning, are, are you the person in this room who's overwhelmed by the task of reading the Sermon on the Mount and says, I'm out, I can't do it? Or are you the person who looks at this and says, I don't need this? Be encouraged to see this passage and know that you can see these things happen in your life. The only thing you have to do is pray because the promise is already there. Ask him and watch him do the thing you need him to do. That's according to his will, his plan, and his purposes. Let's pray. God, would you help us in this moment see you as a good father towards your children? Would you help us to see in our apathy and even our anxiety that you are a good father Would you encourage us, O oh Lord, to pursue you in prayer with great persistence, purpose, and faith? God, would you reveal to us right now in our hearts and minds the areas and places where we do not believe you are good
do these things, God, according to your will and purposes so that we might be encouraged and that you might be glorified in us and through us. We pray this in Christ's name and the people of God say, you guys are dismissed. We'll have pastors and our prayer team up front to pray with you or to talk to you. See you guys next Sunday. This has been a message from the chapel. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about the chapel or any of our campuses, including Akron, Green, Wadsworth, Kenmore, Cuyahoga Falls, Nordonia, and Medina, please go to our website at thechapel.life.